They say that imitation is the best form of flattery. And our kids are great imitators, aren't they? They imitate everything we do. Sometimes that's scary. Sometimes it's delightful. But kids watch and imitate everything we do. We teach them to talk by imitating what it is that we're saying, right? Repeat this. Say that. Say mommy. Say daddy. Say pap. Say pap. Say pap. I keep saying it. Pap. We teach them how to, how to talk and imitate everything we do by imitating our behaviors, by imitating our actions, by imitating our, our activities, and, and they're great imitators. I love being a grandparent. I love being a dad, but I love being a grandparent. God has blessed us with three grandsons, and I so delight in teaching them some really cool stuff and then sending them home to their parents. I mean, this one here, especially the little one, will imitate absolutely everything I do. I don't know where he's learned it. I don't know how he's come up with some of the things that he imitates. I'm not sure who he (laughs) sees it from, but he imitates everything. Connie, on the other hand, being a great godly mom and a great grandmother and a great youth uh, children's pastor, teaches them Bible songs. You know, the B-I-B-L-E, and they imitate every movement, every motion that she does. Imitate some, uh, this little light of mine. Aaron called us up after they went home one time and said, who taught Ike, we call him Ike the Isaac, the little one, how to spit? <laughs> and it wasn't me. <laughs> but I think it was Con. <laughs> Come to find out that she taught him this little light of mine, don't let Satan it out. And he it out all the time. And the only thing he remembered was a it out. And so he just spit all the time. I had one mom write me a couple weeks ago, said, my, my, my little one learned that song as well, and said, don't let Santa put it out. And I thought, either way, that's funny. He imitates everything we do. And, and she said, what, what, how did he learn how to do this? He just comes home. And, I said, I have no idea who taught him that. It wasn't, trust me, it wasn't me. I'm, my eyes are open all the time when we watch your kids. A couple of weeks ago, they were up, and I videotaped him doing this. And I have no idea where he learned it. <laughs> Not even two perfectly learned how to use the phone. Matter of fact, he called Connie the other day. Hello, jibber-jabbered, bye-bye. And he's not even two. They imitate everything we do. Imitating can be incredibly rewarding, or extremely scary. Statements like he's just like his dad or she's just like her mom can be a compliment or an indictment. You can be humbled or humiliated, embarrassed or extremely proud. A lot of it has to do with the kind of life that you lived in front of them or with them. We started our elders meeting this year a little bit different with some questions that I asked each of the guys to answer in front of the other. And we hadn't done that before. And a lot of questions about your faith in Christ and when you came and why you chose to say yes to being an elder and the joys and the ups and downs of serving in a church and a lot of great questions. But one of the questions was, who has made a significant impact on your life? The stories were fascinating. It's wonderful to hear the amount of people down through the ages. Obviously, mom and dad were a lot in those categories, but a lot of different people that you wouldn't even expect at times had such a huge influence on their lives. Coaches and Sunday school teachers and, and youth leaders down through the, to the stages of time and the stages of life had such significant impact on people. On Sunday night, I got a call from a friend here in our church 
His name is Tom, and he said, my brother Guy died today and wanted to know if there was any way I could ask you to do the funeral on Wednesday morning, and, and I did. It was Guy Mack, and I didn't know him, but I was privileged to do his funeral. And it went really well, and I, I found out the influence he had on a lot of people, and then yesterday I happened to open a Butler Eagle, and there was an entire article on him about the impact. Uh, in 1990, Fell broke his back and been in a wheelchair ever since, and instead of being bitter, he just continued to encourage and love and live and um, influence knock people and Slippery Rock football team, just continually let his light shine. And I read that article, and I thought, wow, I didn't even know the influence this man had on so many people. Came back Wednesday afternoon, did a funeral for Shirley Barr, and her daughters were here, and they loved her and adored her, and they talked about the influence. In this place, both of these sections of, of, of pew were filled with people that had been influenced one way or the other, either by uh, them, Robin and Sandy, or, or by the mom. Went to Dale Hartzell's funeral, and Thompson Miller was packed with people of, of his friends and family. And, and, I, and I watched again, and every time I go to a funeral, a lot of things run through my mind. But I, I look in and I see the impact that someone has had on the lives of people, many that you wouldn't know, stories that they have never heard, that they'll have the opportunity to hear. And so many ask me, you know, Mom didn't want a viewing, Dad didn't want a viewing, and I, as lovingly as I know how, say, they're gone. Do what's best for you and your family. But you need closure. Someone will be mad that I may have said that, and I understand that. But families need closure, and they're going to hear stories in that viewing if they have the opportunity to do it that they may have never heard otherwise of the influence someone has had on someone else. And it's so wonderful to hear those stories of people who have influenced us. Coaches and grandparents, coworkers, teachers, Sunday school teachers, youth group leaders, and pastors. But very few higher on the list than parents. Positively or negatively, parents have had a huge influence on who we are to become and who we are. And I'm, I'm okay with that. To be really honest with you, I'd rather them have them imitate us than Justin Bieber, for heaven's sakes. Wouldn't you? I mean, if you're going to imitate somebody, I'd rather be us than him. My parents have had a huge influence on my life. Dad gave me an incredibly strong work ethic, and my mom had an enormous capacity to love. And I love the balance of both of those involved in our lives. Not everyone in the room, I, and I totally get that. As I said a moment ago, we, we honor moms today, and rightfully so, but not everyone in the room had the opportunity to be one, and not everybody sitting in the audience had great parents. And sometimes we forget that. Not everyone in the audience had parents that were great role models. I was driving in town the other day, and I got stopped by a school bus, and it was letting kids out, obviously, and, you know, it kind of backs up, and you're waiting, and, and I saw them, two people standing here, and I won't even tell you where because I don't want to intimidate anybody, but in Sydney, just never mind. There's two people standing there waiting in this, uh, whatever, and I didn't know. And finally I realized when this little boy got off the bus, he just would not get off the bus. And then the whole, I rolled my windows down as I went by, and the whole way until I couldn't hear them anymore, they were berating and berailing this little boy. I thought, no wonder he didn't want to get off the bus. Who would want to go home to that? And for all of us who've had wonderful parents and wonderful godly role models in our lives, every once in a while it, it, it causes me to cry out to God for some of these little ones that don't have that kind of influence. I am unbelievably blessed in the influence that I've had and the influence that 
that my wife has had on my girls, but there are a lot of folks that didn't. And I continually pray for them. Every time I see them in a store and, and yelling and screaming at kids, it just, it just so hurts to know they didn't have the opportunity that many of you had and many of us had here in this room this morning. Most of us, if not all of us, to be honest with you, had wonderful parents. My oldest daughter and her husband adopted. They can't have children at this point and probably or possibly never will. But it, and I said to them when I knew they adopted, I said, you know, it's going to be really fascinating to see if environment had a bigger influence on these two than genetics. Because you have no influence on the genetic side at all. But you have a huge influence on environment. It'll be wonderful to watch them through the years to see and really prove that environment can have even a greater effect than genetics. Today's Mother's Day. I want to take you to a foundational verse this morning. I'm not going to talk directly to moms, but to all of us in the audience this morning because I think that's who God wants to hear from and wants to speak to. I want to take you to 1 Thessalonians today and use one of the verses out of the first chapter as a foundation for the entire thing and then uh, the second chapter for all I want to share with you this morning. I want to read to you, though, my, probably my favorite uh, mom deal. It's a Dear Abby. Before we begin, and it goes like this. Dear Abby, I made a commitment to my children a couple years ago that when I get old, I'm going to get even with them. How? I'm going to take turns living with them. I'm going to borrow their car and bring it home empty. I'm going to leave my clothes all over the house. I'm going to tie up the telephone, leave all the lights on, and drink milk from the carton. When I go out, when I go to live with them, I'm going to take along an untrained pet. This is my favorite one. I'm going to borrow my son's jacket and return it with my teeth in the pocket. <laughs> I'm going to get a big stereo, turn it up real loud, and play all of my sing-along with Mitch Miller records. <laughs> and 90% of the audience have no idea who Mitch Miller even is. <laughs> Abby wrote back and said, you make revenge sound fun. Drop me a note. Who knows? I may even join you. I want to take you to a verse this morning that I think is one of the most powerful verses in this whole section, but applies to all of us. This couldn't be a better standard, a better statement, couldn't be written better on a Mother's Day or a Father's Day card than this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the end of 5, beginning of verse 6. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. What a statement. Now, Paul, Timothy, and Silas are making this statement of the Thessalonians. But when I looked at that a couple of weeks ago, I thought, what a powerful statement for all of us in the audience, on any given audience, and what I know would be on a Sunday morning experience, to be able to have anyone say that about us. You know how we lived among you. Whether you're a youth pastor, a Sunday school teacher, a coach, whatever your influence may be, you know how we lived among you. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. If you're a parent, you couldn't have a better gift than that. I've said to my girls, the best Father's Day gift I could ever give is to know that my girls love Jesus down to their soul and are in church on a Sunday morning giving them praise and adoration. To know that you lived among them and they saw that. They saw how you lived. They saw the influence that you had on their lives. And to know because of that, they became imitators of you and of the Lord. Now, it's powerful that he adds that statement, but he does something really classic when he says they became imitators of us as well. One of the greatest gifts you could ever get as a parent is if your kids follow Christ, especially when they see the difference that it's made in your life. Not just that you say you're a Christian or you go to a Christian church or we live in a Christian nation, but they literally see what it's like to live out the Christian life. 
and they saw it so wonderfully in you that they wanted to imitate that. They wanted to follow the Jesus that you are following. I want to do something a little bit different this morning. I want to take you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to read almost the entire chapter. But as I do, I, I want to do, as I said last Sunday morning, I want to take you as a parent, a mom or a dad or a teacher or a Sunday school teacher or pastor, whatever capacity you may have, to influence other people. And I want you to lay all of that over most of the sections that I'm going to pull out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to highlight some of it, but I want you to see it from that kind of influencing kind of perspective. This is how he starts. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Take your Bibles out, U-pad, iPad, iPad, version, whatever that may be. It's on the screen. We've got uh, CAC guests now. You can log on, so if you want to do that, we want to make sure you have the word. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you this gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make doesn't spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we are speaking as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Every single one of you who know Jesus as Savior have been entrusted with the gospel to pass it on to somebody else. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never use flattery, nor do we put a mask to cover up the greed. God is our witness. We're not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even as though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, look at what he says. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mom cares for her children, so we cared for you. We loved you so much. This is where you moms shine. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. You remember our toil and hardship, brothers and sisters. We work day and night. Sound like you, Mom? Not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Your witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dwelt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live godly lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. We also thank God continually because you received the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it, not as human word, but as it was, actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches, which are in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. Jump down to verse 17. Brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not only in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you again. We wanted to come to you. I certainly, Paul, did again and again, but the Satan blocked away. And look how he finishes. What is our hope? What is our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes that we sang a moment ago? It's you. It's you. Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So often when it comes to modeling the Christian lifestyle, we've heard Christians say something like this, don't keep your eyes on me, keep them on Jesus. I'll let you down, he never will, which is a true statement. Don't keep your eyes on, on me, keep them on Jesus. I, I'm, I will let you down, and I, I will let you down, but he never will. True statement. What fascinates me about Paul and what challenges me and raises the bar as high as I could ever see it going is the fact that on a couple of occasions, Paul makes one of the most boldest statements in all of the New Testament when he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, keep your eyes on me. I'm going to follow Jesus, so you keep your eyes on me, and I'll show you what that looks like. That's a pretty bold statement. 
But from the time I read it when I was a little child, when I became a dad, one of the things that I constantly wanted to make sure that I, that I reminded myself and saw in that was that statement of, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'll show you what Jesus looks like. I'll show you what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Here in Thessalonians, he sets himself up as a model to these young believers as what it means to follow Christ. I said to you on a couple of occasions before when we were talking about parenting, and I'll mention it here in just a moment again, but George Barna in his book, Transforming Children into Spiritual Giants, says that most spiritual decisions are made somewhere between ages 7 and 12. Most of the decisions for Christ, over 80% of the decisions of those who come to Christ are done between ages 7 and 12. And most of their spiritual formation and values are formed by the age of 9 or 10. That's a huge responsibility to us who are the influencers on those who follow us. That at such a young age, they're making such huge decisions, life decisions. In every home, we as parents and grandparents, out in the world, we have this tremendous privilege, opportunity, and responsibility of showing that those that God has entrusted into our care what it means to be a follower of Christ. Do we want them to follow Jesus? Do we want them to imitate Jesus? Absolutely. But many of them want to see what it looks like in everyday life. They want to know what it looks like in difficult circumstances. By watching parents and grandparents, coaches and teachers, they want to know how to make good choices. They need good advice. They want to know how to handle disappointment. They want to know how to handle failure. They want and need somebody to show them what Christianity looks like so that it's not just theory or something that's talked about in church, but it's lived out and fleshed out in everyday life. And Paul says, that's you. That's me. Who claim to know Christ, who are in those kinds of situations as a mom, as a dad, as an influencer, as a teacher, as a coworker, as a boss, to influence those who watch our lives. So how did Paul do it? To these Thessalonians and What can we learn from that? Three things that I'll share with you out of the Word this morning. Very easy to see. Number one, Paul had a clear sense of priorities. Clear sense of priorities. On the verse 4 of chapter 2, we spoke as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We weren't trying to please people. We were trying to please God who knows if what we lived was true. See what it says? Who tests our hearts. Verse 6 of the same chapter We were not looking for the praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even those apostles. We could have done that. Paul had a clear sense of what was important. He had a clear sense of what was really important in life and wanted to make sure that he passed that along so that others saw that. Stephen Covey, in his best-selling book, I read it years ago. I thought it was excellent. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I think he did it again, and now there's eight in one other context, but... He lists goals and priorities, really understanding what's important as two of the seven things in helping people understand how to really get through life, how to succeed in life, how to pass along what others need to see. The choices we make in life are critical to the shaping of our lives. Some people have paid a really high price for the rest of their lives by making one bad choice. For a lot of people, their failure was a result of a series of bad choices, but for some, it only took one. So you and I have the opportunity to to help them understand the power of choice and the power of good choices and the power of right choices and the impact of a bad choice that some people, I've got family members who have paid for it forever, some with their lives, for making some bad choices. As a parent or a grandparent or as a single parent, you have the opportunity to sit down with your children and give them a clear set of values, determining what's really important in life, 
and what's really important for your family and helping them understand how to live that out. And many times, if you're really honest about it, it is choosing out of the good things of life some of the best things. It's not just choosing good versus bad. You can do that. Anybody can look at those things and know these are some good choices, these are some bad choices. We steer away from them. But most of the responsibility for us as parents is to look at all the good things that are out there and choose the best. And that's where the challenge comes in of all of these good things that seem wonderful, that sound right, that are really going to help my kids, that are going to help us as a family. Out of all of these good things, we can do them all, so which ones are the best for us? You're going to have to ask yourself, is it really important to have them involved in all of these activities and all these sports and all of these things, especially if they end up choosing that over a youth group or a Sunday morning experience? They're all good things, but what's the best for them in their spiritual development? Is having family time every week a priority, or does it get washed away with a flood of activities? Do we help them understand that they don't have to have the latest and greatest of everything on the market just because so-and-so did? I've seen so many people trying to impress people they don't even know that well getting stuff they really don't need. Have you? Trying to impress people they don't know that well just getting stuff they really don't need. I said a moment ago, Barna makes it really clear that our children are making choices at such an early age. Between 7 and 13, embracing Christ and having their spiritual values in place by ages 9 and 10 is so important that you start early. Especially with all the choices they have in front of them. The second thing Paul did is had a clear sense of integrity. A clear sense of integrity. Look at verses 3 to 5. We appeal. Oh, this voice is really given out <clears throat> these last few months. The appeal we make doesn't spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God. We never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. Look at verse 10. You are witnesses, and so is God. How holy, righteous, and blameless. Not perfect, but how holy, righteous, and blameless we lived among you. Integrity isn't something that just happens. It involves the hard work of discerning the difference between what's right and wrong and making a decision every day in every situation to do the right thing. And that is the challenge. To every day, in the midst of all of those things in front of me, in every situation, the best as I know how, to choose the right thing, the best thing, out of all those lists of options. Throughout Paul's letter, he calls believers to live a life worthy of our calling. In Romans, he paints an amazing portrait of what it's like to be a part of the family of God. First 11 chapters. All the things God provides, why man is without excuse. I mean, there's just some great stuff in that book. And then he gets to chapter 12 and says, I beg you, by the mercies of God, in light of all that I've just shared with you, live a life worthy. I beg you, I beseech you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable response, your reasonable act of worship, your reasonable response to what he did. First three chapters of Ephesians, what an amazing portrait he paints. And then in chapter 4, he said, live a life worthy of that. You call yourself a believer. You call yourself a Christian. Paul said, live a life worthy of that. So that when someone is trying to decide what Christianity looks like, they'll say, oh, okay, now I know. I see it in them. One of the Ten Commandments that we highlighted today in the clip that we showed you a moment ago was honor your father and mother. And we do. But an underlying principle for all of us as parents or influencers is that the best way to receive honor is to live a life of honor. The best way to receive honor is not because you're supposed to. 
Not because you point down at a, at a verse to say, here, honor your father and mother. No, live a life of honor, and they will honor you. I said to you before, my parents have had an amazing influence on my life. Dad was a farmer, and still is. At 84 years old, for 65, 67 years, he milked cows. 5.30 in the morning, 5 o'clock at night, every day, nonstop, 365 days a year. I love that. Yeah. That's the sign. I didn't see that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you are amazing, Indy. I don't know how you keep up with my speech. Finally, after, yeah. Finally, after 65 years of doing that every day to 150 head of cattle, he decided to sell them all and get 150 head of beef cattle. <laughs> Going, well, that makes sense to me. For the next 10 years, after 65 years of doing that, he did that. Finally slowing down, a couple of years ago at 82, he even sold them and now still has a few animals that meander in and out. The neighbors wanted so bad to rent his property. He had some great fields for crops, and they wanted to rent his property. He'd been after him for years, and finally a few years ago he said, sure. You guys can do it. I'm not raising cattle. I'm not doing that anymore. So he said, I only have one favor. He said, for 70 years, I never worked a field on Sunday. The only thing I did was milk, and that's what he did. Never worked a field, never took any crop, never cut a blade of grass, nothing on Sunday. It was God's day. It was family day, and he revered that, as the word says in the commandment. And they looked at him, and they weren't believers. They didn't go to church, and they said, Mike, you have the best reputation in all of Washington County. And we will honor that. And we will do that. And for the last three years, they've done all their other stuff <laughs> on their farms and in their places. But not one piece of equipment has ever showed up on the 140 acres Dad has on a Sunday. Because he honored him. He lived a life of honor that others wanted to see and follow. Third thing that Paul did was to obviously have a clear sense of commitment and love to those under his care. And this is where mom shine. The depth of Paul's love for the Thessalonians is obvious. You look at his description. He talks about his care and gentleness, how he encouraged them and comforted them, how he felt a sense of loss when he couldn't be with them, when it says it near the end, when I was separated from you. He acted in love towards them as if they were his own children. And in a sense, they were because he had introduced them to Christ. He said, like a mom cares for her children, so I cared for you. It's clear from his use of parental images that he knew the influence of parents was going to be critical to the shaping of the next generation. In the ancient world, typically the mom nurtured and the father was responsible for the child's moral instruction. Paul in Ephesians, when he goes into all of that and he talks about his husbands who love our wives like Christ loved the church, he goes into chapter 6 by saying, dads, don't subject them to wrath, but nurture them. Look at what Paul says here as a father, in verse 11, as, as, as a father dealt with his own children, I encouraged, I comforted, and I urged you to live a godly life. So often we dads not only defer the spiritual responsibility of raising our children to the moms, we also defer the comfort and the nurturing. And Paul said, like a father with his children, encourage, comfort, and urge them to live a godly life. In an age so committed to self-interest, Paul's example of committed, costly love for other people was definitely counterculture. In deciding how to spend his time, he didn't clamor for his own needs or his own rights, but only for theirs. For their sake and because of his love for them, he was willing to endure toil and hardship, share with them not only the gospel but his life, and in doing so, he modeled Christ. 
who put others above himself, who put a priority on giving rather than getting, on serving rather than being served, on loving rather than being loved. The irony in all of that is how Paul finishes this chapter. In giving himself for the sake of other people, he found happiness and satisfaction in that. Look at how he finishes in verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown, in which we will glory in the presence of God? When I get to heaven, what is the thing that I'm going to be the most delighted in? What is going to be my hope, my joy, and my crown when I get there in the presence of Jesus when he comes? It's you. You're my joy. You're my glory. You'll be my crown. The world takes so much out of our kids. We as parents and influencers, whatever level that may be, have the opportunity on a regular basis to fill their emotional tanks. Like Paul is a spiritual parent for these new believers, we get to show our children and those that we influence what genuine love, God's love, really, really looks like. Very few people can do it better than moms. But all of us have the opportunity to influence. Being a great mom or a role model is no guarantee that you're all going to follow Christ. I want to be really honest with that. I'm well aware of that. My brother and I were treated exactly the same, but went so opposite directions you can't even imagine until 20 years ago when his life came back around. And I love Jesus, and it's just incredible to see the transition. And he knows, uh, share that. That we couldn't have been raised more similar and went different directions. Others of you know people like that. You may have that yourself where today you haven't received a phone call from your kids. You won't get a card. No one will notice and no one will care. It's not always a guarantee that they're going to follow Christ. But the option? Who wouldn't want to choose this? To be such an imitation of the love of Jesus and what it looks like to be a believer that any chance and anywhere and any time we have the opportunity to influence, we do it. So that they can say what Paul said at the beginning, which I think is one of the most amazing verses that I've ever seen in Scripture. You know how we lived among you. You became imitators of us and of God. It doesn't get any better than that. If you're a mom here this morning, God bless you. I hope you have an incredible day. If you're a mom whose kids are alienated from you, I hope you feel God's embrace. If you're a gal who really wants to be a mom and God hasn't decided that's what he's going to do yet, I will pray for you like you can. But every one of us have the opportunity to influence. Man, do it well. You will be rewarded and it will bring you amazing joy. Father, I thank you for the love of God. I thank you for the grace that comes through Jesus. For the opportunity that we have to feel that love, to know and understand that love, and then to pass that along. It's not always easy. I don't do it always well. I wish so bad I did it better at times. But I do thank you for the opportunity that I've had to influence people. Those two wonderful role models of a mom and, and of a wife who loved you and passed on love to be blessed with such great daughters and great children, grandchildren. There are a lot in this audience this morning who love this day and encouraged by it and others that aren't. And so surround them by your grace and with your love. 
or the lady here this morning that really wants to be in love, God, please, in your time and in your way, either entrust them with that child and that life or show them their value, not as a mom, but as a daughter of the living God. Help them not to feel that their value is only in that, but of being the daughter of the living God. For every one of us in this audience this morning that had the opportunity and influence, help us to use it well and to love doing it. Not be intimidated by it, but to take the challenge and live it out well. For those moms in the audience this morning who wish their son or daughter would write to them, give them a glimpse of hope, and may they find their love and their embrace from you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.